we're again at the time where we exposit the word of the living God, and we're in uh, the word of God, Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 38 through 42. It's where we draw our uh, teaching from this Lord's Day morning. If you turn there in your copy of the scripture, Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Using the subject for these verses, one sign only. One sign only. Puritan pastor Matthew Henry writes, quote, Signs were granted to those who desired them for confirmation of their faith, as to Abraham and Gideon, but denied to those who demanded them for the excuse of their unbelief, end of quote. Unbelief was the basis for the request of the scribes and Pharisees for a sign from Jesus. Unbelief is not excused in God's eyes. He counts men presently guilty who do not believe on Christ. John 3 verse 18 tells us they are under condemnation. John 3:36 tells us the wrath of God abides on them. John 8, 24, unless men believe that Jesus is the I am, they will die in their sins. So we see that God, in the first two verses, lets people know that they are under condemnation if they refuse to believe on his son. In the last verse that I read, if they refuse to believe that his son is Yahweh, that he is God, they will die in their sins unforgiven. And the final judgment will consummate what has already begun in time and history. People who do not believe now, who are under condemnation from God, who are under the wrath of God, which abides on them, those who refuse to believe the truth about who Jesus Christ is according to the scripture, the final judgment will be the consummation or completion of the judgment that has already begun in time in history. For such people, one sign will be forgiven. First heading, the final sign. We find it in verse just 38 through 40. The scribes and Pharisees were insincere and notice they address him, teacher. <laughs> teacher. They're hypocritical. They believe that Jesus was a heretic and a blasphemer one who did, not, who did his miracles not by the power of the Holy Spirit, but by Satan himself. Remember that? 
in their unbelief. They had already begun plotting his murder. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to rid the earth of him. But they come to him and say, Teacher, as if they really want to be instructed by him or have been instructed by him, and they ask him, We want a sign, to see a sign from you. This was simply an expression of their unbelief, their rejection of Jesus as Messiah. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 says, For indeed, Jesus, uh, Jews ask for signs. You, know, had to under, you have to understand, they had seen sign after sign. They did not deny his supernatural power, but denied, as I've said a moment ago, that it was from God. They said it was from Beelzebub. It was from the devil. They had sufficient evidence to who he is, but they're willfully blind. The reality is, additionally, is they wanted Jesus to prove himself to be Messiah. They not, did not believe that he was Messiah. They did not believe he could do the sign that they were requesting, but they wanted him to do what they didn't believe he could do. The text here does not specify the kind of sign they wanted. Matthew chapter 16 says they requested a sign from heaven. And the reason they did this, you may wonder, a popular Jewish legend alleged that demons could mimic earthly miracles, but only God could make wonders in heaven. They did not believe that he could provide one. They didn't believe Jesus could do it. In Mark chapter 8, verse 11, it reveals their motive their motive in seeking a sign. In Mark chapter 8, verse 11 says they wanted to test him. They were hoping he would fail. They wanted to discredit him in the eyes of the Jews. They wanted to show that he is not who he appears to be. Another expression of their evil unbelief. However, there was a sign a heavenly sign connected with Jesus, but it was at the start of his public ministry. In Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, we read there that the heavens opened and the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. The heavens were rend, and here comes the Holy Spirit in likeness of a dove and landed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a sign from heaven. John the Baptist saw it. And presumably the bystanders who saw the event, they recognized this was a heavenly sign. Unbelievers always need a sign. They always need something to prove because they really don't believe. But if you give me some proof, some more proof, then I will believe. But those in a right relationship with God the Father did not fail to recognize the Son of God when he came. They understood who Jesus is. You may recall in the birth narratives, Simeon and Anna, they recognized who he was. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. An old man and a prophetess, they recognized this is the redemption of Israel. John the Baptist recognized who he was. Matthew chapter 3, verse 14. 
the disciples understood who he was with the exception of Judas Iscariot. What's interesting about these individuals that I just named, that none of them sought a sign to verify Jesus' identity. You see, they had been taught by God. John chapter 6, verse 45 says this, Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone who's been taught by God the Father, they understand who Jesus Christ is, and they come in faith to Christ why you came you were taught by the father and the father taught you that Jesus is his son that he is the only savior you must come to him and you did you came now they're asking for a sign and in verse 39 the a portion it says here but he answered and said to them an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign Jesus is quite point blank isn't he he says, your problem is this, you're evil and adulterous. That is not seeker-sensitive language. He calls them what they really are spiritually. You're evil and adulterous. That's why you crave for a sign. You don't want to believe. You do not believe. And so what Jesus does here, he gives a brief exposition of their unbelief by calling them an evil and adulterous generation. You might say adulterous? Yes. Let me, let me um, talk about it for a moment. Unbelieving Jews were not only uh, physically and mentally adulterous. You remember my, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. They were spiritually adulterous as well. And that's the emphasis here. They were adulterous in a spiritual sense because they violated the covenant relationship that they had with God. They had broken their vows to him. Their relationship with Yahweh was spoken of in terms of marriage in the Old Testament. For example, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 32 says this to Jerusalem. God through the prophet Ezekiel says this, Yahweh said, you adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. They were idolatrous. Going after false gods, which was equated with adultery in God's eyes. They were spiritually unfaithful. In the book of Jeremiah, this is uh, clearly stated. God uses this language to depict what they did in their going to idols. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. To the prophet Jeremiah, God is relaying this, these truths to Jeremiah and through, to the people. He said, Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. That's where uh, they committed their idolatry, on those places on the high hill and those trees. I thought after she had done all these things, she will return to me, but she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. 
Judah, the, the kingdom was split at the time between the north and south, and the northern kingdom, they, they went into captivity first. The southern kingdom, Judah, they went later, but both of them were guilty of the same sins of idolatry. And notice how God puts it through Jeremiah, and I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. God divorced his wife. That's the language. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, for she went and was a harlot also. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees, speaking of idolatry. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. That's the issue. Spiritual adultery. You may recall the book of Hosea. God told him to go marry a woman named Gomer. Remember that? And Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea, the prophet. In fact, Gomer was a symbol of Yahweh's marriage to Israel, and Israel was unfaithful. In James chapter 4, verse 4, the writer is telling us about unfaithful, unregenerate people there. Adulteresses. Professing Christians who associate with God's people but love the world. That is Satan's evil system. Such a love shows that such people are not redeemed. May I tell you and be plain about it, if a person claims to be a Christian but they love the world, and that's the pattern of their life. Their love for the world is so great that that's what they want, but yet they want to hang around Christians. Just know that they are not redeemed. True Christians will not, as a matter of course, as a practice, love the world. When you come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you begin to love him, and you don't want the world any longer. You don't crave the things of the world. so they're unfaithful now notice Jesus says here in the text an evil and adulterous generation notice the word craves for a sign craves the original language it means this it indicates not just looking but demanding as a necessary preliminary to faith. In other words, I'll believe when you give me a sign. Until you give me a sign, I won't believe. But you have to give me the sign that I want. That's what they were craving. Now, if we, as we've been saying, they did not possess saving faith. They were unregenerate men. The demand for a sign would not, if if given by Jesus, move them to believe. And Jesus knew this. No matter what they did, they would remain in unbelief. You do understand that Jesus knows what's in men. In his omniscience, he knows everything about us. He knew them just as he knew Judas Iscariot did not believe and would not believe and would was indeed a devil who would betray him. You notice 
further in this text, verse 39. And it says, And yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. It is never God's plan to give a sign that people want to satisfy their unbelief. Do understand something. God does not bend to the whims of sinful men. He is not a celestial genie that you can rub on his lantern and like Aladdin and said, give me what I want. God is God and you're not. He doesn't bend to the whims of men. The sign that God will give will be uh, in accord with his will. And so he lays it out, what it is in verse 40. Here's the sign, the only sign. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus articulates what the sign of Jonah is. As he does so, I want you to get this. He, are, he affirms the historicity of the Old Testament account about jo Jonah being swallowed by a sea creature appointed by God. You know, there are people who think, oh, that's, that's a story. Who can believe that? Well, I don't have a problem with it. You shouldn't either. If you know who God is, that shouldn't be a big deal. If he can create the world in six days, certainly he can create a sea monster that can swallow a man and keep him there for three days and three nights. Furthermore, Jesus believed it. And since he's God, and since he's eternal, and since he knows everything, if he says it happened, it happened. So this account of Jonah affirmed by Jesus demonstrates the truthfulness and reliability of Scripture. You can trust the Bible. Everything it tells you is absolutely, utterly true. Further, such an event, this sea monster swallowing um, Jonah and keeping him there for those days, is a testimony to the sovereign power of the Creator over his creation to accomplish his purpose. God is thus glorified. Further, we uh, understand something. Jesus, notice he says in verse 44, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster. We learn uh, that the Old Testament has what are called types. People and events that foreshadow people and events in the New Testament. They're called the antitype. There are prophecies, verbal prophecies, and there are symbolic prophecies. There are prophecies in the Old Testament that point to some people and events that will happen in the New Testament, and Jonah was a type of Christ. In this case with Jesus, Jonah was a messianic type, a prophecy foreshadowing the person and work of Christ. And Jesus uses it to illustrate that, point that out. So get this, Jonah's experience is more than a tale about a man swallowed by a marine creature. Now let me tell you something else about Jonah. Um, his experience was due to uh, his disobedience. 
Jonah hated the Ninevites. They were enemies of Israel, Jonah's nation. By the way, he is the only prophet in the, New, in the Old Testament that didn't obey God. God had given him an assignment and didn't do it. Jonah knew that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents from calamity. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. That's why he didn't want to preach to them because he knew God would forgive them and he didn't want them to be forgiven. You know what? Jonah wanted them to be destroyed. By the way, whatever assignment God gives you, just go do it. Jonah's disobedience resulted in his experience in the sea monster. God has ways. I'm kind of getting off a little bit, but I'm going to tell you, God has ways to get you where he needs you to be. Jonah realized after that little experience, I'm hightailing it to Nineveh. <laughs> Says enough of this disobedience. That may be you. You may be wondering why you're going. God's told you to do certain things. You know what the Word of God says, and you're not doing it. I wouldn't play around like that. Now, Jesus, like Jonah, would spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But unlike Jonah, Jesus wasn't disobedient. He was obedient to God the Father. He experienced what was due to us, what we should have gotten for our disobedience. Now you notice here in the text, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Our Lord did not mean 72 hours. For from Friday to early Sunday morning, it is just 36 hours. Hardly three days and three nights. You can figure that out, can't you? You say, well, how is that? Did Jesus make a mistake? Absolutely not. See, you have to understand the Bible uses idioms. People talked in certain ways just like we do. This expression of the Lord was a Semitic idiom. Uh, an idiom is a way of speaking by a group of people or in an area of, of, of a country or region. And this particular idiom meant part of a day, counted as a whole day. For example, someone may say that uh, he spent the day at the game. Now, not a single person in this room thinks that they actually spent 24 hours at the game. We instantly know what they're talking about. They spent part of the day at the game. That's what Jesus was saying here in this text. He predicted his, his death, burial, and resurrection, in fact, and he saw his life moving toward divinely preordained Climax. He would spend three days and three nights, so three parts of a day and three of nights in the heart of the earth, his burial. And Jesus' resurrection is the only sign that he will give to that evil and adulterous generation. That sign, <laughs> what's interesting about it? When people are committed to unbelief, there is nothing that will persuade them to believe. You can pile on all the evidence that you have, pile it on, pile it on, pile it on, and they adamantly refuse to believe. It's a heart problem. You say, how do you know that? I'm glad you asked. 
Luke chapter 16. Jesus makes this interesting statement. Luke chapter 16. Remember the man, the uh, rich man that had gone to Hades and he wanted Abraham, Father Abraham, to send somebody to his brothers. He had five of them, you recall. He didn't want them to come to Hades in that place of torment as he had. But Abraham, in Luke chapter 16, verse 29, says this, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. This is a man speaking from Hades saying, just, just, just send somebody from the dead and they'll repent of their sin. They'll turn. Verse 31. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, the word of God, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And you say, you mean that's how it works? Yes. People. Matthew chapter 28. In the face of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 11. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest and all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and cult and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. This is a lie. They knew the tomb was empty. They had the report of the guards. But they will not face the fact that Jesus has been resurrected. And so they concocted this lie and said, this is what you do in verse 14. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And verse 15, and they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews as it is to this day. A lie that the disciples came and took the body of Christ out of the tomb. They knew the truth guards they told him the story but they didn't believe they refused to believe one sign only this is the only one you're going to get you better believe it the final sign the final judgment verses 41 and 42 the men of Nineveh stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold something greater than Jonah is here Jesus not only predicted his death and resurrection he prophesied the destiny of judgment that awaited the unbelieving generation the implication is here in this verse verse 41 and in verse 42 that the hearers questioners of Jesus, the majority of Israel will not repent and believe. How sad. Not repent and believe. Nineveh, they did. The pagan people, Gentiles, they will stand up at the judgment and condemn 
Israel, God's people. The Jews had covenant promises. They had the oracles of God, Romans chapter 3, verse 2. They had the whole Old Testament. They had spiritual privileges and advantages, and they had none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But all that the Ninevites had was a disobedient preacher who got things straightened out and preached to them. Let me show it to you. In the book of Jonah, the third chapter of Jonah. You can see the truth. See what happened. Jonah 3 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying arise. The second time remember he had been told already. But after a little ride in the ship uh, the fish ship he decided okay I'm obey now. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Judgment. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called a fast. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, flock, taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that each man may turn from his wicked way, from the violence which is in his hands. Can you imagine? These people repented. They hadn't been to Sunday school. They didn't have a place to go and hear the truths from the Old Testament. These were pagans. But the word of God came to them from Jonah, a prophet from the Hebrews, and they repented from the king on down. The king went on to say, and who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. By the way, let me underscore that. Do understand that people are under the burning anger of God against their sin. Don't miss. Let me tell you all something. Don't listen to these people. Always just focus on the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. Yes, he's a loving God, but he also judges sinners. I remember reading a, about a comedian who's well-known, Robin Williams. He committed suicide, and what struck me, Robin Williams, before he did it, he said he believed in a loving God, but I said, brother, but that doesn't give you the right to kill yourself. You better repent and come to Christ. People have a distorted view of God. They think he's just going to excuse what they do because of his love. No, God in his love, he warns. He sends the word of God. He sends preachers. In this case, he sent a prophet. Say, turn from your sins. That's love. He will not allow people to just go ahead and get away with their sin and say, I just love them. No, 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 no. And this pagan king understood what some modern Americans don't get. God's burning anger. Now this is, look what God does. 
when God saw their deeds, they turned from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning calamity, which he had declared he would bring upon them. He did not do it. The reason God didn't do it because they ch changed. God didn't change. They did. When there is repentance, when there is belief, notice in this passage, they both believed and repented. He believed God through the prophet Jonah. Yes, God's going to do what he said, and if we don't repent, he will bring calamity upon us. So we believe God, we're going to turn from our wicked ways, and God relented. That's what God does. Israel had far more light as I already said, far more light, far more knowledge of who God is, his word, than the Ninevites. And Jesus in verse 41, the bottom of the verse says, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What he means is me, God's own son, God incarnate was among them. He was attested to by the miracles Jesus, the apex of divine revelation, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. He was, his miracles demonstrated the validity of his divine identity and authority. Something greater than Jonah is here. And what that implies is you should listen to me. If they listen to Jonah, you should listen to me. Verse 42, second case, historical case as well. This involved a Gentile woman, the queen of the south. First Kings chapter 10, verse 1, calls her the queen of Sheba, country of the Sabaeans, Lower Arabia, some 1,200 miles southwest of Jerusalem. She took a long trek, an arduous trek, to go up to hear the, Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. She had heard about him. Solomon's fame for his wisdom was widely spread. And she said, I'm going to go listen to this guy. So she gets her retinue and they go, make this long journey so she could hear this man's wisdom. And the text tells us she heard, heard him. She tested him with difficult questions. Solomon answered them all. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. Whatever difficult problem she had put before Solomon, Solomon said, this is the answer. This is how it works. This is the issue. And she was overwhelmed. She said, wow. This guy's IQ is off the chart. The wisdom is unbelievable. The wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth until the Lord Jesus. Think about it. She came, Jesus said, in verse 42, the middle of the verse, came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And she repented her sins and she believed the true God I believe that's the implication here because she's going to stand up to judgment and say hey guys uh, I went to hear Solomon's wisdom and I came to believe in the true God the God of Israel I turned from my sins and here you had the son of God he was among you and there were miracles and you didn't she'll condemn them and Jesus greater than Solomon because <laughs> Jesus' wisdom supersedes Solomon's by an infinite measure. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's who Jesus is. All the truth necessary for salvation is found in Christ. 
I'm going to tell you what, uh, we ought to tremble for this country because the gospel has been proclaimed and been proclaimed and been proclaimed. People have heard the truth. I know there are a bunch of false people out there, but there are a whole bunch of people who have told the truth and telling the truth. And there are people in this country who have heard the truth of the gospel. They've heard who Jesus Christ truly is, and they go on in their sin. They didn't have as much information, but who believed, and they will condemn the people who live in this country at this particular time because they refuse Christ. Don't let you be one of them. You want to know what the greatest expression of sin is? Let me tell you. It's rejecting Christ. Sin is most clearly and disputably manifested in how a person responds to Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 16, uh, the Holy Spirit will convict of sin because they do not believe in me. This is serious. There's nothing more serious in Christ. I don't care what you're going through in your life, no matter what you've got planned, whatever. If you forget Christ, you've made the biggest mistake for all eternity that you could ever make. Rejection of him is sin. And that sin, unless repented of, will eventuate in eternal damnation. That's what Jesus told them. And was sad about it. They foolishly turned away. They continued down the path of seeking to destroy him. And one day at the judgment, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, the great white throne judgment, there's going to be a judge sitting on that throne. And these people are going to be there along with all the other people who did not believe throughout all of history. And they're going to have to look into the eyes of their judge. And their judge is none other than Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the profound shock of having to look at the one whom they had seen in the flesh on earth and now they look at him as he judges them and sends them to their eternal damnation? Don't you be one of those. You don't want to show up at the great white throne judgment. You want to come to Christ while you can. If you'll turn to him, he'll save you. Cleanse you from your wickedness, cleanse you from your sin, and make you his own child. If the Queen of Sheba can travel 1,200 miles to hear from Solomon, you walk a few feet to hear the word of God and believe. I trust you will. If you're not a Christian, and if you are a Christian, preach Christ. Don't be ashamed. Just proclaim him and his resurrection. The resurrection declares that he is the son of God. Romans chapter 1. Tell people about him. Let us bow together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for uh, disclosure of your mind and truth in the word of God. And we thank you that we, by your grace, who are yours, are children of the living God, your children. We thank you for this profound, eternal blessing that belongs to us. Help us to mimic our master in proclaiming the truth to men. 
calling men what they are, an evil and adulterous uh, generation, sinful. The wages of sin is death, and all have sinned. Help us to be bold and loving until men judgment is coming like Jonah and like Jesus so that men will uh, turn by your gracious action in their life from their rebellion. I pray that in this room this afternoon, many like that, that they will see their true condition before you in light of their sin. See, the only remedy is Jesus Christ who can take evil and adulterous people and make them saints. We pray for those in this room who are Christians They need a place that they can identify with as their local church home and serve and glorify your name as they work in partnership with other believers. Pray that they will become a part of us. So we pray these things uh, that you might be glorified in this place, even this day. In the name of Christ, I pray.